0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is your man, El Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. You know this is a place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Well, it looks like my boys did it. Uh, I knew they were. Uh, I few- don't know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about my bladers. We gonna get everything started on some NBA uh, talk tonight. I'm working on a big story for my word on the street for t- for my next episode. I might put that out tomorrow, just depending on uh, how far I can get with everything else. Uh, but there's a major story that I wanted to work on there, so I'm gonna take a take a break on that for tonight. Uh, but we're gonna start everything off like I said with the NBA playoffs. Of course, we had some game sevens for these uh, conference semifinals. I wanted to talk about my my boys my blazers of course uh they got it done I'm going to go over the eastern conference as well uh but let's get right into this these, uh, this blazer matchup with the nuggets of course uh we needed seven games uh we you know we had to go through the elements I'm pretty sure that game 5 blowout uh was due to the elements or I'm sorry that game 4 blowout was due uh just to us being out of gas that altitude I got to chalk it up uh to to just the Denver elements uh but uh, for outside of that um Jokic he is definitely the truth I think this team this Nuggets team Uh, Outside of maybe making a move, um, maybe on Paul Millsap, who did put up some quality numbers, uh, maybe seeing if you can get a solid veteran wing uh, that might be available in the offseason just to give you all an extra boost maybe. Uh, But I think that team, as is, is is really solid. Uh, I think, like I said, you got Joker, one of the best players in the league right now, the best big man, of course. Uh, Nobody is matching him on both ends of the floor. Again, at least at the big man position at the center, position uh overall they're they're trying to hype him up as the very best player i cannot say that uh he definitely balls out really hard Uh, you got kevin durant to 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 contend with with that title and really my personal best player that nobody you know gives any type of love to at least still now Till now, uh, is Steph Curry. He's really underrated. Uh, I think he's been outshining a lot of people for a very long time, and he really hasn't gotten his due. And this is coming from a non-Warrior fan. But again, I digress back to this series. I think Portland played a hell of a game. Uh, they were able to get it done, of course. The big story here is CJ McCullum. Uh, 37 points, nine rebounds. Uh, he also got a He also got a couple assists in there as well. Uh, Dame did not perform as strongly in this game. He only had 13 points, but he did get 10 rebounds. So he did uh, get a double-double. And he almost had a triple-double, a solid triple-double. He had eight assists. So, again... He did not show in the scoring, show up in the scoring department, but he did come up in other ways, and he did get a crucial three, uh, down uh, in the end of the game, uh, nearly in the, the game, just to kind of ext- extend that lead. Another story that I wanted to, uh, another player that I wanted to point out, at least from the Blazers side, uh, that showed up was Evan Turner. Uh, he happened to show up and gets fourteen points out of nowhere. Uh, he's been a lot, well, not necessarily a factor really in any games, uh, really in any series, uh, even that in in this series the this series in the semifinals or even the first round with the Thunder really hasn't been a factor but uh to show up uh uh, yesterday and get us 14 coming off the bench in the crucial moments of the game I I I don't I I, I'm I'm, uh flabbergasted again uh this team is finding new ways to uh to amaze me and surprise even me I've always been the one to say their Achilles Hill has been to win on the road uh but They did it Uh, again. I've even said that uh, this team uh, was not giving us any type of lit up. Uh, Jamal Murray, of course, uh, like I said, he performed very well throughout the series. Uh, in that game seven, he did end up getting seventeen points, six rebounds. Uh, he also had five assists as well. Uh, Greg Harris also made a good account account uh, of himself as well, uh, getting about fifteen points. And of course, Jokic he had twenty nine points and thirteen rebounds. So again, this team has all the play uh, has all the pieces in play uh, to be. A, a a championship contender. They've gone uh really deep uh, in their first real year together. Uh I think maybe you can move Will Barton in, at some point in the offseason again. Uh maybe attract another uh solid wing maybe but I like the makeup of this team um at least of the Nuggets they're looking to challenge in the future uh, but for the Blazers they're moving on to fight another day. Uh this is interesting because of course uh, the the Warriors play in my uh, in the, you know, in Northern California. I'm living in Northern California, uh, so this poses a different. This poses a real uh situation for me. Uh, but Portland has you know has really in my opinion really still being slept on in my opinion uh there's a lot we can get done there's a lot of pieces that people are overlooking um there's matchups that we've been exploiting there's matchups that we didn't know that we could exploit uh that were being exploited that that have been exploited throughout the series uh again without Steph without uh with with Steph having an injured hand uh with with KD out at least a game we could probably still win an Oracle. Uh, we definitely would have to win at home. I don't think Golden State can just sweep us in Portland. Uh, I'm looking at a very interesting seven-game series. Um, of course, my heart would want to go with Portland. Uh, but, again, I can understand where everybody's saying that Golden State is the favorite, regardless of, of KD being injured, regardless of people being banged up. Uh you know, and I could see that because they have not lost yet, so I I can understand that I can agree, I can see where people will be coming from, um, but again, uh, I think the margin of error this year has been very close for the Warriors. Uh, there's been there's we've seen them basically sweep the playoffs up until uh you know for a certain amount of time uh we seen them yeah we we basically swing, uh, seen them sweep playoff series uh we've you know we haven't really seen them struggle as much as we I think we have seen them struggle a little bit uh, more so in the the first round with the clippers uh as opposed to really with the the rockets I th- don't get me wrong i think the rockets are a really solid team uh but they're a team i finally kind of Well, it it came it came clear to me um, watching this morning. I was watching a little bit of Colin Cowherd and um, uh, um, Colin Cowherd, and they're basically breaking these guys down in the Rockets, and it makes a lot of sense. They're really analytics guys. They're numbers. They're numbers driven. I call it fantasy basketball. They're really concerned about you know making threes and making you know high percentage shots i again i i've always had a problem uh with how they run their offense they run it too um too. this too one person oriented in terms of what uh the the, the rockets do Too james Harden and heavy when he's hot you know Sure, they have a chance. If he struggles, they're not in the game. Uh, they don't really ha- they don't get a lot of production from Chris Paul. We really watched him age throughout the series. I think that the series uh was a little bit was a lot easier for the Warriors uh than the Clippers series, and I think Portland poses a much more di- a much greater challenge than even Houston and the Clippers because we actually have players that have showed up. You know, at some point throughout the playoffs, uh, you've had moments from Zach Collins more than just one. Uh You've had a more. You've had more than just one moment from Rodney Hood. You can get a game winner from Rodney Hood. I I, de- I know for a fact you can get a game winner from Steph. You can get it from KD. You're gonna have your All Stars, of course, when we can work them back in. They're they're hoping to God Boogie can play. We'll see. Uh, but I like Cantor against Bogut. Uh, I think Cantor can also uh, do some do some work against Draymond as well. That Draymond is not necessarily dynamic offensively. Uh, again, Portland runs deep. Uh, you can get you can get Seth Curry to get hot, the little brother to get hot. You can, like I said, you can get moments out of uh, Al, uh, Al Farouk Aminu. You can also get production out of Mo Harkless. So you can have five All Stars, sure. But we have two. We got two of the best guards in the league. One of the best guard tanners in the league, uh, next to you guys. I'll say a close second. If you got one A one B, we'll definitely see that in the finals. We're gonna see that matchup, of course, in the finals. Um and i like the matchup uh, if if um lillard were to go up against clay clay gave was giving up 35 points a game to james harden um i'm sorry uh i i i definitely think portland has a good opportunity because if 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 the rockets could win two games basically by by being ran strictly through harden then i know for a fact a team with two all-stars and a productive bench could give them it could give them a seven-game series, without a doubt. Uh again, I don't see Kayvon Looney just always matching up well with who we have. Again, the mat there's matchups you can there's matchups that can be made. There's I don't see on a consistent basis, just like again with this with in this last series that just wrapped up, you're gonna have to be constantly Doing your thing, I think the only you get the you get a constant volume out of your your, your all stars of course. Uh, even they go dry again. We have an injury to Seth. Uh, Steph's hand, not Seth, but Steph's hand. We gotta look at those things. And again, Clay, for what it's worth, yes, Clay Thompson can put up a gang of points, but he was giving up thirty five points a game basically to James Harden. That's a lack of defense. That's a that's a very low uh that's a very low defensive rating and I'm pretty sure he's not really he wasn't uh, generating that many steals on James Harden or making him uh force uh, uh forcing turnovers on James Harden as well so again I'm not I'm not saying that the Warriors don't deserve to be a favorite uh, I'm just saying that you need to not look. Stop looking down on everybody so much. I think Golden State and their fans, they're trying to look over everybody. Oh, we're fine. Don't I I would not sleep on anybody, and even if you do get past Portland, you still got to get past who to eat who the East uh can produce. Speaking of which, let's get to that Game Seven in the Eastern Conference. Uh, of course we know about the shot around the world, uh, quickly surpassing Dame's uh Dame shot. Uh, but we all know about the Raptors getting it done, of course, in the Eastern Conference Semis. Ninety to ninety two is the final score, of course. They got it done over the 76ers. Uh, for Kawhi, he had 41 points in that game, 7, 8 rebounds, and also 3 assists. He had 240 points in that entire series. That is the that is an NBA record, folks. So he balled the F out. Uh, he had good fun out there, and he was able to get it done. That's all that matters. Serge Ibaka also got 17 points and 8 rebounds. Embiid uh, was no slouch as well. Uh, he was able to get uh, 21 points and 11 rebounds. J.J. Redick also got 17 points and 4 rebounds. And all uh, and once again, uh, the 76ers make a, a second-round exit in the playoffs. Uh, for them, I think the big question is, yeah, what what is next for them? Uh, I heard it. I heard, I'm hearing through the grapevine. I don't know how, you know how, uh, serious this is. But of course, you know the analysts they make their predictions. Uh, you know, there's a movement that Joel and B needs to be traded and so on and so forth. I'm not pushing the gun for that just yet. I like the makeup of this team. This team is gonna get you places. Uh, that's gonna get you to the playoffs. I think. Uh, for one, Ben Simmons needs to, needs to develop a jump shot. And again, I still think he needs to develop some real point guard skills. He needs to be an all around playmaker. Uh, he can really do a better job of getting into a lot of these scores. And again, maybe you don't want to re sign Tobias Harris to a long term or a massive contract. Maybe you might, might want to find some more value shooters. I don't know. Uh, but you definitely need some more production offensively. And uh, for what is worth, he played pretty solid. They played pretty solid. Solid defense. Uh, it's just Kawhi just had one of those, you know, those epic shots. And he just had a monster game in general on his end. Uh, but again, nobody else really balled out on that Raptor squad. Again, I knew for a fact that, uh, you know, Philly had what it what it took to, to keep that series competitive and they sure enough did. Uh, I, I just think that they're missing just one thing. I'm not too sure what it is right now. Maybe maybe it is for them. Maybe it's just time to mesh together. Uh, Joel and B need needs some time to just really rehab. You need to give Ben Simmons a really another good offseason to uh, improve on his jump shot and his playmaking abilities. And Maybe with some more time, I say give it one more season. Let's see how they ride one more season. If they they finish at near the top of, of the conference then you know you did a good job we'll just be looking to see how well they do in the playoffs definitely I think with some more chemistry together you you allow Joel Embiid to heal uh, now, that he's, now that the season's over. Don't have to do anything. Just let him rest. Uh, give his body some time to, to get acclimated, uh, and then you bring him back into the fold, uh, get him in shape, and get him ready for the season. Uh, but he definitely, he, I think definitely for what it's worth, he is an overworked guy at the moment. Uh, he was fighting through some viruses, stomach viruses or whatever, throughout the series, sickness, all type of sicknesses. He needs to just shut it down, take a break, Get some rest. We'll get y'all get back into it in the offseason. Ben Simmons definitely like I said, definitely needs to get that um get that jump shot going. And uh Jimmy Butler, I definitely think he can work with them on some defensive uh toughness and tenacity. Uh getting them to, to really attack it on the defensive end. They let a couple shots go and they were out of position on a lot of different plays. So uh I think it's about just tightening things up for them and maybe some and again for what it's worth Jimmy Butler did come was a you know during the season trade so you do need an offseason to to, to get those pieces to work together this is why a team like the Nuggets I feel are going to be very dangerous they went uh, they had two straight seven round uh, seven game series and they they got playoff uh, experience they're going to have experience together working a full offseason together they had a full season together so they're going to have another full season to go that's more experience So, again, the Sixers just need more experience with all of them working together as a cohesive unit. They'll be back. Um, As far as the Raptors go, of course, uh, they're meeting up with the Bucks. Um, Very, very um, interesting series. Of course, this is a rematch uh, from 2001. Oh, actually, it's not a rematch from 2001. This is a completely... um, this is this is i think this is a a evolution in my opinion Uh, i was i I, again i like to uh, watch a lot of different um you know podcasts or or channels and i like to and i like to uh key in on certain ideas uh and i and i like to uh not necessarily piggyback uh but if they're very valid i'll put in more and it feel like i put I, i like to try to add a little bit more to what they're saying uh with some positive uh positive on my side uh but i was watching this video i believe it's by dom 2k uh you know talking about the evolution of the of the eastern conference and i feel like uh with a matchup like this between the bucks and the raptors two teams that you've seen uh you know directly in the mix for years, uh, getting better, having longer, you know, uh, playoff stints, uh, becoming better in the offseason, and getting those, uh, those offices acquisitions in the case of the Toronto, uh, in the case of Toronto and the bucks and really holding in on developing your squad with the case of Giannis and Chris Middleton. Uh, I want to just, uh, harp in on that some more and just say, uh, Dom, you are exactly right. Uh, I feel as though, uh, these teams have been putting in a lot of work since about 2013-2014. They've always kind of been in the mix, even the 76ers as well. Uh, they've you know, they had their own process as well. But now you're just starting to see those fruits come to fruition. LeBron is gone. He left Cleveland. Uh, there's a vacuum now, but of course, it's being filled up by solid uh, contenders teams like the 76ers even the sex the uh, the Celtics because of what they've been able to do the, the, the season before yes they took an early uh exit but again that's a back, They're back-to-back in the playoffs. They're, they're developing that pedigree. Uh, depending on what they're able to do in the offseason, they can become better. They can go further. I think we're making uh, – for the new generation, we're having hallmark teams. Uh, we're, we're, we're generating this generation's uh, Lakers and the, the Celtics of the 80s and the Lakers of the 2000s. These are who these, squ- these squads are coming up to be. Uh, you're seeing the Golden State Warriors. That's the first team to do it. Uh, we're gonna see who can come out of the Eastern Conference to, uh, Dethrone them possibly. You might even see it happen in the Western Conference. It might end now. Sometimes those dynasties, they make it all the way to another another championship round, another finals appearance where they lose. Sometimes they lose in a conference finals. You don't know. But we're starting to see the new generation of those dynasties and those really good contenders. And, uh, and we're seeing it all around, uh, all around the league right now. Uh for right and one more thing before before I take a quick break. Uh we have a quick bit of uh of news here to the uh to it's not breaking news per se. Uh and it's come out of Lakeland. They have decided to hire a new head coach. They're gonna go in the direction of Frank Vogel. Uh he well first of all, first and foremost, they agreed to a three-year deal uh worth 15 million. Uh now this is also with the idea or you know, with the demand that Jason uh Sorry, Jason Kidd will also serve as their assistant. Now, of course, Jason Kidd was a former point guard. Who could work with Lonzo? That's what they're hoping. And he also worked with uh, LeBron as a team member of uh, Team USA back in the Olympic days when he was still playing. So, th- you know, they're thinking with, you know, his his role as a point guard, he can help with you know the development of Lonzo. Also, work kind of well in rapport with LeBron James. Also, uh, just a little bit more info about Frank Vogel. He is a dif- defensive-minded head coach. Uh, he did uh, previously coach. Uh, he's been coaching for about eight years. He's been uh, out of work for the past year or so. Uh, but he has an overall record of 250, 250 and 181, like I said, over a period of eight years. Coaching in Indiana and Orlando. He does have two Eastern Conference Finals appearances. He did up. He did end up losing to LeBron. So there you go. He has some experience with LeBron. Uh, but again, how do I feel about it? I think it's an okay signing. Uh, they definitely needed. They well they definitely struggled on defense last year. Again, I don't think this is the flashiest pick you can have. Uh, but again, their two initial targets they decided they didn't want to you know mess with them. They didn't want to fuck with the Lakers. So I don't know why. What's going on in Lakerland? Somebody explained to me. I'm not necessarily all hands on in with that organization. Uh, but uh, there there was some drama here. I feel. Uh, again, they wanted Tyron Lou, at least on. You know, LeBron's people wanted Tyronn Lue. Uh, I think the Lakers in general were really high on Monte Williams. So they kind of went with Frank Vogel. I think Frank Vogel was, was a name uh, that was pushed specifically by Kurt Rambis, who was an advisor, and that was coming on word from Bill Jackson. So you could see that he's still in the mix. You know, it's too much going on. they got they holding on to old exes, old flings. I think it's just time to clear house if I was uni bus, uh, just, just get a whole—I would— if. If anything, I would hire from top to bottom myself uh, based on what I know or based on some advice that I personally chose. Uh, forget holding on to these old, you know, you know, relics. I would say, oh, I don't want to say relics. That's that's the wrong word, but let go of people like Rambus. Uh, Palinka, get really basketball driven people people that know about results. I, I would I would look out for executives that have uh, You know a track record of success or I'd be looking at fresh new faces like Chauncey Billups uh, I think we're missing them, you know, in terms of a general manager uh, Or a president or something like that. We're mi- I think a lot of these organizations are just missing the boat uh, again Another move for the Lakers. I mean, I, I they got the they got who they I guess they needed as far as Jason Kidd being there. Of course, uh, the big thing there is pushing the narrative being pushed there. Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd is there to basically, uh, be there in case Rambus, I mean not Rambus, excuse me, but Vogel messes up. Uh, he starts to struggle as a coach. He's gonna take over. I'm not a big fan of Jason Kidd as a head coach either. Did you? Did you? Do you know his record with the Bucks? It's not very good. They did not make the playoffs. Uh, about him being a player developing type of guy, great on the defensive end, uh, but offensively, we know that he was an average player at best. He passed the ball a lot, uh, but again, Alonzo already had pretty solid defensive skills. His development was going to be his offensive game. So again with an offensive head with a defensive minded head coach and a, and a defensive minded assistant coach there's no balance i don't see exactly where they hit the mark here to be honest with you they just kind of got the name that they figured that they could get i don't i don't know what to say about these guys i think it's a dumpster fire you i don't want to say it with their dumpster fire, uh, but I'm going to take a quick break, y'all, and when I come back, uh, I had a special treat for you guys, uh, of course, I wanted to do things uh, related to the numbers 5 and 8, because, of course, I started my podcast on May the 8th, so in lieu of my one-year, uh, well, in, because of my one-year celebration, I wanted to share with you guys, because it's NBA playoff time, my 8th eight- eight of my top eight playoff games now this is not and nothing like that I'm just gonna go one game uh my greatest single games in the playoffs my personal life um so i'll be right back i'm gonna present that to y'all all right y'all all right y'all i am back and like i said i'm gonna run down my top eight greatest playoff games single playoff games that i personally ever seen uh in, in my lifetime, so I, you know, if you don't hear Dr. J and Magic Johnson, no disrespect, it's only because I didn't really get a chance to see them. I could look them up on YouTube, but again, I wasn't in the moment even, you know, either at the at the stadium or the court arena, or I didn't really necessarily get a chance to watch it on TV, so I wasn't in that moment. So I couldn't relish in that. I could look back on it now and and go back on it later and all that, but this is just for me and just what I, you know, in my lifetime. But let's get right into it, starting with number eight, and I'm gonna go with the 2015 Western Conference Finals, game five, uh, the Warriors defeating the Rockets in the closeout game, 104 to 190. Why is this game important to me? uh well to me this was in high this is definitely a in the not necessarily in the moment uh but this is in hindsight this is after uh the run that i've seen the golden state warriors uh have uh this is you know, between the ups and the downs, you know, then then going on a seventy three and nine, uh, then eventually losing to LeBron that season, uh, them coming back from three one to OKC, of course, in that same playoff, uh, in that same playoff run, then I'm also have, and then also having the same, you know, also getting uh KD, so uh KD and having the two championships with him and being on the run for a third, uh, I think this game set this into motion. Again, this was uh, this was right when you first started to realize, oh, the Rockets, you know, got beef with beef with the Warriors. And I was into it on that. And um, also in hindsight, the reason why I'm feeling it, because because of the nostalgic, not it's nostalgic, but uh, in the hindsight, you know, and today I like it a lot more because this was at the height of my quote-unquote warrior-hater days. I would love to throw little, I was never an outright warrior-hater, but I always like to throw lugs and tiny bits of shade, and this was when I was all into that and really feeling that mode, and this was also when the, when James Harden, I believe this was the, the James Harden that got cursed by Lil V, so this was like a lot going on, but I really felt in that game, in that closeout game, something in my mind clicked, And no matter how much shade I might have wanted to subliminally throw out there and say, yeah, they this and all that, lucky and all that. But in the back of my mind, I knew this was a championship run and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And because of that, today being able to look on it now and saying, mm-hmm, look at what you see today. I got to give him some love for that, give him some respect for that. Uh, let's break it down in terms of stats. Steph, of course, showed up big time, 26 points, 8 rebounds, 6-6 on his end. Klay Thompson, the other splash brother, also had 20 points and 4 rebounds. And Harrison Barnes, I know y'all remember that name, 21 points, 7 rebounds on his end. And on the Rockets end, of course, this is where the... <laughs> the choking we all see it goes back all the way then this story plays itself out it's been doing it since the land before time that's why i'm glad the, the the trailblazers made it and and this is another reason why um well let me just break down the rocket stats real quick uh but for the rockets uh james harden did his thing uh well he didn't do his thing he choked like i said it was back when they was you know when we knew that james harden was a choker 14 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. Jason Terry, yes, he was still in the league. 16 points from him. This is before they had CP3, of course. 3 assists and also 2 rebounds. And Dwight Howard, of course, yep, he was there too. Double-double from him, 18 points and 16 rebounds. Of course, uh, you know, Golden State had a really big second quarter. You know how they had those point explosions where you just knew – it was over. Uh, second quarter 35 points, 30 points to close out the fourth quarter, dominance and like I said, the start of the dynasty. But one thing that I one takeaway that I that stuck with me, and I was telling one of my friends, Eddie, I don't know if he remembers this conversation, but I actually told him one day, uh, when I was watching this series, like, I actually like the fact that y'all can win. I I think that y'all should challenge and beat LeBron for for one time and and beat uh the the main the mainstream name, uh because I think it opens the door for everybody else that was struggling that that had a, that had a, that had the you know the period of time between the nineties and the two thousands where they were garbage you know like Portland and uh what will become the you know the Oklahoma City Thunder teams like us could make it. And of course, the Golden State has dominated, but look at it now in this, in their, in what could be their final run as who we, you know, as, as who we see them are. My favorite team, the team that I told my, I said, Eddie, I think, you know, bro, this is good for the league. I think one day Portland could be here because Golden State is doing what they're doing. Uh, that game, you know, opened my eyes to what basketball could be. And, um, or in, uh, and believe it or not, they they changed my mind about a lot of things. And and like I said, I said, I, I feel like Portland could be in this position and look at it. You know, four or five years later, Portland can challenge them for that spot in the title. So I think the league has come a long way. Uh, and I think it did that because of the Warriors. So I'm happy for that. And um, yeah, it was a good was a good win by them. Moving on to the set to my number seven greatest playoff game of all time. I'm going to go with my boys here. I. Uh, my Blazers getting it done in the first round this year in the in the game five against the Thunder 118 to 115. You already know why um, I'm saying this game. Uh I gotta give Lillard, you know, props for the shot. Let's break down the stats real quick for this one. Uh of course McCollum, he also performed as well. 27 points, four rebounds from him, three assists. He out he actually led uh the Blazers in terms of scoring in that game. Lillard had 24 points, eight. Assists, he also had three rebounds. And uh, Alpha Kaminu, he also had 19 points and nine assists for the Thunder. Uh, Paul George, he did all he could to keep that game. Uh very close to the competitive. They were up at one point, looking very good. He had 32 points, 10 rebounds. He also had six assists as well. Dennis Schroeder, I was very mad at him during the game because he was making some clutch shots at one point too. Extending what lead they did have. He had 17 points, three assists, and three rebounds. Russ he had 14 points, 9 rebounds. Uh, he also had seven assists. Uh, again, I, I love this game because. You know, Dane stepped up. Uh, there's been a lot that's been you know said about the Portland organization. Um, again, as a fan, you hear it. Uh, you you go through it. I've been roasted so many times. I've had I've been called out for it. How you how you a Blazers fan? Blazers this, and you know, seeing games like that justify your fandom it makes you feel good that at your fan of course well, actually i don't need it i don't need it to be justified really honestly but it just it makes you feel good it gives you that yes we did it take that um it was one of the greatest single shots in my opinion next to Kawhi's. i think that they're, they're tied right now um maybe a prisoner of the moment uh but i especially like i said especially if the if the, if the blazers can take this momentum because we've we've uh we've beaten two teams that Vegas were definitely had us as a as an underdog to be now I know the experts the analysts uh, as you might see on TV might have might have been talking favorably for us but I think deep inside they would not have been surprised if we would to have lost so if we can take this momentum and, and do something with that this That is the shot that I'm going to hang it on. And more importantly, one thing I do like about it is the rivalry that is is budding right now between us and OKC. I like it. It's good for basketball. I like Lillard saying he's going to come into that. He he was going to come into that game five and beat the motherfuckers. I love how uh, Rushbrook was saying he'd been beating our ass all this time yeah in the regular season whatever but in the playoffs where it really counts we got that ass i love it i love rivalries i like what's budding here again this is going to elevate us i think it's going to elevate my team this 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 series here could mean it could it could bring something potentially good uh to that city and to that team so something that we've been waiting for for a long time so i might be a prisoner of the moment but Again, if I'm right, if I'm if my heart is right and and my team can can do something about it, then I'm telling you, that's the lynch point. That shot is the lynch point right there. We'll come back to it in a a few more in a few more weeks. Uh, Moving on to my number six greatest playoff game, uh, the 2013 NBA Finals game six. Uh, We already know about this one. Let's break it down. Let's break down the stats real quick. For the Spurs, of course, Kawhi is still there. He got 22 points, 11 rebounds, and three steals. Duncan also did his thing, got a really good double-double here, 30 points. He also got 17 rebounds. And Parker, he was around as well and still putting up some good numbers. 19 points uh, from him, eight re- uh, eight assists, excuse me. He also had a couple rebounds for the Heat. Uh, LeBron, uh, he uh, stepped up, got... Thirty-two points, ten rebounds, and also eleven assists. Mario Chalmers—he had twenty points—and as well at yeah, out of nowhere. And Dwayne Wade—he had fourteen points and three rebounds. And uh, I'm sorry, four rebounds and two assists. And the biggest story we already know is the Ray Allen clutch shot. Ray Allen hits the clutch three in overtime. One hundred to one hundred three is the final score. Again, you know. It, there was a game, this was a game that could have went either way, and it definitely was, um, a, a deciding game in the series. Um, what you got, uh, from LeBron was some of his best work. But then you also saw Tim Duncan turning back the clock. You also got Parker putting up points as well, being a factor. Kawhi emerging to be the player that we see him today. Even Chalmers getting in on the action. Now Wade didn't have a good game, great game either, and neither did Ray Allen shooting the ball. But you know when it all came to when it all came down to it. Uh, the shot was made and it pushed him over the top. And um again, it uh, you know, buzzer beaters are just amazing because it's final. It's over. There is it's it's nothing to come back from, you know, just like what, what Dane was able to do. You know, that game could have went to overtime if he missed it. But, you know, he's confident he doesn't want to take that chance, just like Ray Allen. You know, again, he's struggling, but again, he's a three-point shooter. He knows he's going to get it. Why not try? Bang! And to me, that is the... Oh, my God. I can't remember if it's Kevin Harlan or whatever that dude, whatever the, the announcer that does it. That is, the, that is the quintessential shot word. Bang! Oh, beautiful. Oh, Ray Allen. Oh, Bang! Great. Steph Curry, bang! Will you hear that, you know it's, it's 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 a great shot. It's over. It's over. Good night, Sydney. Bang! Imagine hearing that. Oh, my God. You, I know, especially when the Golden Warriors play, you know how to be having them, them old 15-point runs in the playoffs, and all the ball cuts do is go, bang, bang! Oh, my God. That was the way he started it. That is the greatest... One word I can ever hear when a shot is made, oh, my God, that whoever did the call, I can't remember the man's name, oh to save my life, greatest response ever I have to have a list about the greatest responses to shots I've ever heard in my life, and it, oh, my God, that's gonna be on the list, but moving on to my number five uh game, I'm gonna go back to uh my childhood. Let me go back to 1998. NBA Finals, game six. The Bulls get it done against the Jazz, 87 to 86. This game is significant uh, because this is my last uh, real memory that i can really fluidly say that i have a michael jordan i was born in 91 uh so i it took me a while you know i wasn't you know all into you know everything right away of course you're a baby and all that so in his and when he he first started winning titles the first year he won a title i was born so i really didn't i really wasn't uh catching basketball till about first grade first second grade so that would put me maybe even second grade so that puts me right here at this point in time and um Let's talk about the points real quick. Let's talk about the stats real quick. MJ got 45 points, 4 steals. Tony Kukoc, uh, the only real scorer, other scorer on that squad that night, 15 points, 4 assists. He also got 3 rebounds. As for the Jazz, Carl Malone put up 31 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists. And Jeff Hornacek got 17 I think this game, I mean, I felt, always felt this game was significant because, again, like I said, this was my last memory, really clear memory of Michael Jordan. And all I remember is him performing at the highest of his abilities. All I remember was him making just literally every shot. Uh, And this is where you get the word hero ball. And, And, again, this is the only single player that I could just see just dominating, you know, by itself, like that, and still getting success uh never seen a performance like that before by a single uh player uh per se, and just Carl Malone's just attitude after that uh really turned me off uh turned me off, you know. To him as a player I just never was into him uh, again uh, he made he missed a couple clutch shots you know he just kind of was nonchalant about it I said bro you ain't got no hunger you ain't got no real heart like that I saw him try to piggyback off the Lakers and I'm glad he didn't get that title because I don't think he deserved it uh, he didn't show up in 98 to really challenge the Bulls so he didn't just get in, he, you don't just get to piggyback off the Lakers in 2004 so I'm glad he didn't get it then and um, yeah the mailman did not deliver on that sunday moving on to number four uh we're gonna back we're gonna dial up uh go a little bit into the future uh, 2015 to be exact. We're gonna go to the Eastern Conference Semifinals Game Three. Uh, the Bulls get the best of the Cavs here. Ninety-nine to ninety-six is the final score there. Uh, D Rose led uh led everybody in terms of scoring. Thirty points, seven rebounds. He also had seven assists. Jimmy Butler had twenty points, eight rebounds. Uh, he also put up seven uh, seven rebounds. He also had five steals as well. For LeBron, he had twenty-seven points, eight rebounds, and fourteen assists. God damn. And as as for Kyrie, I think this was a, probably a, a factor in that game here. 11 points from him, 4 rebounds, and 2 assists. This one came down to one of those last shots. Again, Great, uh, not necessarily great shot selection from Derrick Rose. He is somewhat of a three-point shooter, not necessarily effective like a Dame Willard who can just take it up from anywhere, who knew really his limits and where his range is at. Uh, just just one of those chuck-em-up shots. Did not want to take the game to overtime. Uh, they had their home crowd behind their side. Uh, and just... And just the way, you know, you watch a shot go in and you watch the camera and you watch how it pans over to Derrick Rose, that's one of those moments. He has a stone face. He's shaking and everybody around him is, is excited. Uh, again, they didn't win the series, but they did go up 2-1. to one And it, and this was right when LeBron first came back to Cleveland. And it looked like this series, they might be in some trouble. So just for what it was able to do, put, put LeBron on his back a little bit, you know, ignite him a little bit. And just because I like, you know, it's I love Derrick Rose as, you know, dynamic a player as he was, and he tries to be still in this in this day and age, uh, despite all his in, his injuries. Uh, you know, this just, just harks back. You know, he had a fifty point game last season and again, you know, games like those make you think about a game like this and the game three, you know, Eastern Conference Finals, you know at home and he just steps up and makes a really good shot you also see jimmy butler emerging here uh becoming a really good defensive stalwart five steals in that game uh so really good basketball from from d rose good to you know I like you know his shining moments. He was a really good player uh, in his prime, and he could have really been something great had it not been for those injuries, just taking taking a lot of years out of him. And we're going to move on uh, to number three. We're going to go to the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, this one is a game, says 76ers, beat the Bucks 110 to 111 here. The big story, of course, is AI. He had 46 points uh, just all over the place, doing every, anything and everything to put his team uh, in the NBA Finals, uh, really putting himself on the mark. He was scoring inside, outside. He went 5-9 from the three-point line, really good, especially because his next well, the only other person to score in double digits was Aaron McKee, and he only had 12 points and nine assists. Uh, but again, A.I. put the team in the city on his back. This was back when everybody was feeling him, and it was just a movement. It was really you had to be It was one of those in the moment, in the time, in the basketball, you know, in general, not just a, a, a 76ers fan. This is what I like about a lot of the the, the games that I put here. I'm not a fan, to say, of all these teams, you know, per se. I'm not a fan of the Spurs per se, but I like what they were able to do in the moments that they were able to create. Again, I'm not a fan of the Warriors, but I liked what they were able to do in 2015. They, you know, they, you know, they forced me to respect them, and I do. I won't talk down on them, but I'm definitely not going to root against my team and say they're going to beat some losers. I'm not going to say that, but I got respect for y'all. Okay, Warrior fans, I got respect for you, but I'll never put Portland down. Okay, I'm never gonna do it, so I don't expect it. Okay, I'm gonna ride or die. Anyways, we're gonna move on. The uh, uh for the Bucks, Ray Allen also did his thing. He had four points, four assists, three three steals. This game was somewhat controversial, but you know what? Again. Allen Iverson was the man back in the day. He got a lot of us brothers into basketball. He mixed in the, the hip hop with everything, made it urban, made it, made it good, made it fun, made it, made it playground, um, made it a little street for what it was. And you know, I loved it. I loved basketball then. I loved watching it then. He was a good uh person to watch in in his in his in his heyday. And it, personally, from from a basketball fan. Yes, Allen Iverson all day in two thousand one, baby. Yes, sir. Uh, moving on to number two. Uh, this is where it's getting deeper, a little bit more nostalgic. Not to say this this one is actually nostalgic for me. Uh, personally, two thousand four NBA Finals Game Five. Uh, Detroit. Uh, gets it done in a gentleman's sweep of the Lakers. Uh, one hundred to eighty seven is the final score there. I love this game and i'll tell you why i have always i'm sorry at least until now i've learned to not be so negative i'm learning as an adult you don't you don't have to be so negative you don't have to be the quote-unquote hater whatever but i hated kobe bryant and I hated the 2000s, the early 2000s Lakers, uh, especially for what they did to Portland and the Conference Finals in 2000 and what happened with the Kings, another team that I really enjoyed watching in the early 2000s. I really was over Kobe Bryant. I didn't care for LA. I loved to visit LA, but I was done with Laker fever. I was done. Matter of fact, I didn't even like to go to LA. I'd rather go to Rat Magic Mountain. I didn't like to go to LA at one point in time. I did not like the Lakers. You could not do it. I knew the fix was in. they was cheating. I did not like them. So it was good to see them get knocked down so many pegs. And I didn't care about the drama. I didn't care about I didn't care about what Kobe was going through. I didn't care about the beat between him and Shaq. I thought it was beautiful. I loved watching that team. Basically, be demolished on national TV for the amount of four games because that the, the four games that they that they lost the four games that that Detroit won weren't really that close. You had one game where the Lakers put up sixty eight points. Okay, okay, they gentlemen sweep them. Kobe supposed to be so great, so awesome, Got basically got swept by Detroit, and no all-stars. Let's break down the stats, though. Kobe, he got 24 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds. Uh, Shaq, he had 20 points, 8 rebounds. For the Pistons, Rip Hamilton had 21 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists. Ben Wallace even showed up on the offensive points, offensive end. 18 points, 22 rebounds. Tayshaun Prince, I know y'all remember that name, my folks. That was That's my age. 17 points, 10 rebounds there. Really solid cat coming from the small forward position. Underrated. He showed up in this finals. All of them did. Even Rashid. Dude, and this is funny, and I, I and this is why this game is really that great to me because the final score one hundred is 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 really crazy because if you look at this team's run and what you will always hear about this team is defense, defense, defense. They were putting up ninety points a game on the Lakers in this series, brah. In this final closeout game, they put up a hundred points. Imagine that. The defensive team putting up a hundred points on somebody. And this is coming from the same team that in the game seven of that of their Eastern Conference finals against the uh the the, the Pacers, that final score, if I'm not mistaken, was 68 to 65. So you went from that to basically averaging almost 100 points throughout the finals versus the Lakers, and you close them out with 100 in game five? Yeah, bruh, you get get mad props. Greatest finals run I've ever seen. Um, Again, it's one of those victories that make you think, man, maybe my team can do it. Maybe my team, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, Moving on to my number one game. Of course, uh, this is the most recent uh, of the games here. Y'all can say what you want. I'm going to go with the 2016 NBA Finals, Game 7. The Cavs getting it done against the Warriors. Uh, The final score there was... uh, I'm sorry, ninety-two to eighty-nine for the Cavs. LeBron led the way, twenty-seven points, eleven assists. He also had eleven rebounds. He was averaging like thirty-eight points through the. the damn series. Kyrie had 26 points and 6 assists. The Warriors, uh, they were led by Draymond. He led all scores, by the way, and this is significant because this is what's going to lead into why I really feel this game is significant and y'all really can't sleep on it. He had 32 points, 15 rebounds and 9 assists. Clay also did his thing. He had 14 points, 2 rebounds, 2 assists. Steph had 17 points and 5 assists. The reason why I think this game is that significant because we're going to sit there. Like the narrative here is that a lot of people are going to say, well, Draymond was out game five. Draymond did this. They did. Look, it set, all I'm going to say is if that's the case, then it set the stage. Golden State got uh, has always gotten away with a lot of different penalties just like everybody else, just like the Rockets, just like anybody else. Uh, look. Whatever happened in Game 5, Draymond Green outperformed everyone in Game 7. So you can sit there and say, well, look, he missed out on Game 5, which led to the Game 7. But when it came down to it, he balled out over everyone. And King James, as they called him at the time, came through. He put the block on Iggy. What can you do? Kyrie made clutch shots. What can you do? They got it done, and they, they got it done to the point where they the Warriors had to get the next best player in the league and then dominate, and therefore creating a shift in this league that we see today. That's what happens. It's the greatest, in my opinion, the, the at least the greatest playoff game in the past 15-20 years. 10 years maybe. Nobody was expecting. Uh, the Cavaliers to win against the team that went seventy three and nine. Who would expect that? Nobody. I'm sorry. I got you. Got to be crazy not to think that that game is great. Don't be salty. Don't be salty. And stop bringing up Game Five because in Game Seven Raymond outperformed everybody. That's that's gonna be my argument against you. What happened? Sorry. I have a couple honorable mentions here as well. I'm going to go with the 2001 NBA Finals Game 1. Sixers get it done against the Lakers, 107-101. to It's the only game that they won. But the big thing here, of course, is AI balling out. He had 48 points. Led that team uh, back. They were down at least by 16 at one point, something like that. Maybe even more. Uh, But he definitely brought them back. Brought them back to a solid. It a really game one win. Unfortunately, it only got one. But it was a really good explosion for him again. The Allen Iverson factor works so much here. And, uh, again, I'm going to have to go with something from this year again. 2019 NBA, uh, Eastern Conference Finals, semifinals, excuse me, game seven. Kawhi putting up the 41 points. First game seven game winner ever. And I think the biggest impact for me, the biggest reason why I put this here is because I got a chance to see the commentary from different languages. That's what, you know, ESPN will do. It likes to make everything worldwide and represent those cultures. Um, and I like the commentary. I like the fact that there was so much excitement and so much joy and so much thrill coming from these commentators from all these different languages. Uh, I heard it being called in Argentinian. I heard it be so basically Spanish. I heard it being called uh, the play being called in uh, in Chinese, I believe Korean as well the excitement, the pure joy, the pure fandom that you can hear in these guys' voice and you're like, man, they're crazy over these guys that we're we're watching at home. I Love it. I love the world connection. Um, i loving. I'm loving what um what Kawhi did. I heard it in French They was going incredible incredible. Oh my god. Oh sweet. oh incredible. Oh my god That's amazing that that to me um, To have that worldwide connection is is dope and uh, coming from somebody like Kawhi who's not necessarily vocal That's that's how you do it. That's how you do it brother. All right, I'm going to take another quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to get into some MLB action. We're going to run through tonight's action as well as through the standings. And uh, tonight, I'm going to wrap everything up with a review. I'm going to be reviewing a cult classic, uh, Life, y'all. Yeah, yeah, an old hood favorite. We're going to come back to that one. All right, y'all. All right, y'all. We are back, and like I said, I'll be going over some MLB action. I'll be going over the scores from today. We're gonna to start off in the National League. The Phillies were able to get it done against the Brewers, seven to four. Uh, for the Brewers, they got their production mostly from center fielder Lorenzo Cain today. Uh, he had five hits, which is a career high. He also got an RBI, and that's at six at bat. So really productive day from him, uh, but it just didn't lead lead to a win, unfortunately. They also got an RBI from their uh, from their MVP uh, left fielder Christian Yelich. As far as the Phillies, uh, second baseman Cesar Hernandez was able to get two hits. He also batted in two runs. Uh, center fielder I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, center fielder Obudel Herrera. He also got two RBIs on a double. And as far as as far as pitching goes, uh, they're starting uh, their starter today did not really do that well, but that bullpen definitely stepped up. They were only they only gave up. One and run, and Pat Neshek got his second save of the season. So the Phillies are looking really good on the season. We will get to them. We'll get to their record in the standings in just a little bit. Uh, moving on to the AL, we got the Astros getting it done against the Tigers. The final score there was is eight to one. Uh, for the Astros, they got major help from their DH, a- aka the designated hitter, Alex Bergman. He had two RBIs. Uh, their second baseman, uh. Jack Marisnyk. He also had two hits as well as two RBIs at three at-bats. So, really good numbers from him. Productive. Uh, He was able to get a hit basically every time he was up. That's a good day for anybody. Uh, uh, And also their pitcher uh, Brad Peacock. He got the win today. He went for five innings. Only gave up three hits. He also got he only gave up one run. He also had four four walks, excuse me. And he also had three strikeouts. For the Tigers uh, they got one run uh, by their catcher Grayson Grainier. But that was about it, of course. Uh, Moving on, we got the Angels getting it done against the Twins, 5-4, and a little bit of of an upset. Uh, We got another upset, too, in in the American League Central. Uh, The White Sox got it done against the Indians, 5-2. The D-backs got it done against the Pirates, 9-3. And finally, wrapping everything up, uh, the A's took another loss in extra innings, this time to the Mariners, 5-6, going to be the final score there. Moving on to the standings, we're going to start off in the American League East the Rays are on top 24 and 15 they gone 5 and 5 in their last 10 uh the Yankees are right up on that as a half game back they're going 7 and 3 and a half in the last 10 they're getting hot just like the Red Sox coming out of the clear blue sky 22 and 19 right now 8 and 2 in their last 10 like I said they are hot and they are just 3 games back uh making up the 4th place spot we have the Jays the Blue Jays out there in Toronto Drake City 16 and 24 uh their record right now, two and eight in their last ten. They're eight and eight and eight and a half back right now. I don't really seem to come back. See them doing anything too much this year. I think they'll stay in that eight, eight and a half, seven game range. Uh, Turns of games back, and finally, we have the Orioles, another team that I don't see doing too much this year 14 and 26 at the moment, four and six in their last 10. They are currently 10 and a half back. Moving on to the central division, we got the Twins on top, 25 and 15 at the moment, six and four in our last 10. Moving on to the number two spot, we have the Indians 21 and 19, four games back. They've been going four and six in their last 10. Excuse me, at the third place spot, we had the White Sox 19 and 21. 5-5 Five and five in their last ten, kind of getting it together. Six games back, uh, the Tigers are at the fourth place spot. Eighteen and twenty-one, four and six at the moment in the last ten, and six and five. They're six, sorry, six and a half games back. And the Royals, you can just scratch them. I scratch them right now. I don't see them doing anything this year. Fourteen and twenty-seven, three and seven in the last ten. They're currently eleven games back already it's not looking good. And going out to the AL West, we currently have the Astros on top. Uh, the basically the, we they were the offseason favorite. Uh 27 and 5 at the moment, 9 and 1 in the last 10. They're not going to give up that spot. At any point in time, uh, looking at who they have to f- looking at their competition now here in this division, the Angels are 20 and 21, six and 4 in the last 10. They are six and, and a half games back already. We have the Mariners at 21 and 23, three and seven in the last 10. They've been struggling as well. They are also seven games back uh, at the fourth place spot. We have the Rangers at 17 and 21. Three and seven in the last 10. They are eight games back. And bringing up the re- the rear here are the A's. Unfortunately, my favorite team. 19 and 24, five and five in the last 10. And they're eight and a half games back. I really don't uh, know what to say. Yeah, we have basically the same makeup, uh, the same roster we had last year. Just not getting it done. Uh moving to the National League. Uh we're going to start off in the National League East. Uh number one spot. We go we got the Phillies 24 and 16, 73 in the last 10. They're looking really hot. They've gotten they've gotten their act together. At the second place spot, we have the Braves 21 and 22. Three and a half games back, they've been six and four in the last ten. Uh, they're looking to make a run. Uh, I don't see the consistency just there yet, uh, but you don't know. It's pretty. It's still kind of early. We ain't. We haven't gotten uh, deep into the summer yet. Uh, at the number three spot, we have the Mets. They are 19 and 20, still kind of in the mix. Four and a half games back, but they are four and six in the last ten, so they are on the downtrend. That's not a good look at the moment. Uh, we have the Nats at 16 and 24. They are currently. 2-8 two, two and eight in the last 10 they are 13 and a half games back, wow and finally bringing up the real we have the Marlins uh, don't worry about them let's not even worry about them I didn't even need to tell you the Nationals record to be honest with you, they're not Not important moving on to the NL Central. Uh, we have the Cubs here at 24 and 14, 8 and 2 in their last 10. The Brewers are 24 and 19, 7 and 3 in their last 10. They are two and a half games back, so right up on the Cubs' heels. This is pretty much how the division is going to go. You also have the Cardinals in the mix as well. Two, 22 and 19, 2 and 8 in the last 10. Uh, they are currently three and a half games back, though. So, still in the mix. The Pirates are 20 and 18, still in the mix as well. Uh, technically six and, uh, 6 and 4 in the last 10. So, they are on the uptick as opposed to the, the Cardinals, who are 2 and 8. Uh, they are four, and a, 4 games back, though. And finally, you have the Reds, 18 and 23. They've been 5 and 5 in the last 10. So, uh, You know, in the middle of the road, but they are seven and a half games back. I don't think that they really challenge at some point. I just don't think they have the roster at the moment. Uh, but we'll get deeper into these these teams as the season goes on. And finally, in the NL West, we have the Dodgers on top. Uh, they have a good solid lead at the moment, three and a half games. They are 27-16 and 16 at the moment, and they are 7-3 and three in their last 10. The D-backs are at the second-place spot. They're 23-19, and 4-6 in their last 10. At the third-place spot, Manny Machado is keeping the D-backs – I'm sorry – Padres uh, in the mix. Surprisingly, I mean, I'm not too surprised, but I'm glad to see that they've they turned it around. They've been one of the suckier franchises uh the past few years but they are currently third place in the nl west 22 and 19 five and five in the last 10 and they are four games back and the rockies are at fourth place 19 and 21 six and four in the last 10 and they are six and a half games back and finally you have the giants they're 17 and 23 garbage five and five in the last ten, eight and five uh, game eight and a half games back. Excuse me. I'm not a fan of the Giants, and I do have a really interesting story for you guys. Uh, just to detail the type of dysfunction that they have going on in the Giants organization right now. I think it's hilarious. Uh, but one of their starting pitchers, what is the guy's name? Derek Holland. Uh, recently. Um. Oh, now where's the story? Ah, yes, Derek Holland. Now he it's currently been mad at the giants executives and also the manager Bruce Bochi. uh he claims he recently faked an in, uh, injury and this is last week but he was currently demoted to the bullpen which is basically the backups uh the backup pitchers after a loss uh, after a loss last week to the reds uh he um basically he well he had a really bad adding, outing He's been having some serious uh blow, seriously bad outings recently. Uh before that he gave up seven runs and two and a half innings against uh Colorado. And uh he basically went on to say say this and again this is just the frustration I guess that they got going on right now across the water in San Francisco. But I love it. Again, I don't like the Giants, so I love it. I like to talk about it. Uh, But this is the quote coming from your boy himself. Uh, He goes, they keep changing a lot of things, and at the end of the day, I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do. Apparently, you didn't because you faked the injury, so you couldn't play. So, no, it didn't make any sense. But the team president, Farha Zayda, is actually saying that the injury is actually real. I don't know what to believe, but currently this season, Derek holland it doesn't really matter. He's 1-4 in his last uh, five starts, and he's currently pitching a 6.75 ERA, which is terrible. So, you know, everything's falling apart in Giants land. We can rot together, guys. (laughs) With that note, I'm going to take another quick break, and we're going to be wrapping everything up with my review. Like I said, I'll be going over our favorite ghetto cult classic life i'll be right back y'all all right y'all i am back i'm gonna wrap this up for tonight and uh like i said i'm gonna talk about a really oldie but goodie and uh for those in my community we know this movie as life this is one of our top i know you might not have this ranked high than friday you might not you know there might be a couple other you know, black movies, you might have a little bit high, but this better be in your, the top five, top ten, really top five. You know what movie I'm talking about? We watched it a thousand times. This is life. This is our boys, Eddie Murphy, Mont Lawrence. In my opinion, this is a black national treasure. Just thinking back on it again um i'm gonna break this one down actually i'm gonna go to the nitty gritty with this one i normally don't always give away synopsis and summaries and go into you know what it's all about and what's in it but this time around i'm gonna do it this is a really good movie to me and i think it's it's right that y'all know all about it let's go right ahead into it uh basically it's about two brothers uh when i say two brothers they're not related (laughs) My bad. Two uh, two guys from Harlem, New York. Uh, their names are Rayford Gibson, of course, played by Eddie Murphy. You also got Mr. Claude Banks, uh, played by Martin Lawrence. Uh, now these are two totally different guys and two do totally different walks of life. Uh, as as in terms of Rayford Gibson, uh, we know that. Uh, he's a he's a hustler. He's a he's somewhat of a calm man. He gets down in the street a little bit uh, at the time in the 1930s. What all that consists of, running the numbers and all that. I don't know. You know he you know he do whatever. Uh, he grew up without well his father died. We learn that a, a little bit later about him. Uh, but he he's a he's a he's a slick cat. You know um he always has a get rich quick scheme, and you kind of already see that in the beginning. You know you see him you know um setting the tone. You know, you wearing that dress, girl, hollering at the singers in the club. You know, uh, and he already know, cause he and uh, and the cold part is, you got Claude. He's supposed to be the straight man, and a and a good movie, in and, and a good movie like this. And one thing I will say is that I liked about it is, you know, you you got the you got the the funny, laid back, slick type, which is Eddie Murphy, right? He's supposed to be playing Ray, and you got the straight man. You know the the claw banks who because he his character he's a banker he's a you could say he's a goody two shoes you know he you know well uh, well represented he got the bow tie on you know going taking his girl out to the to the you know to the dinner you know for his first little paycheck from his new bank job that he's proud of you know he you know he's a little square dude but it's it's cool like you know i like that move because they didn't really they really didn't they they really didn't typecast him like that. They really didn't type him like that. They really didn't cast him like squarish, whatever. He was still cool. Like he was happy with his job at the bank. He was happy with you know putting on for his girl, taking his girl to the club. You know to to enjoy you know his money together. You know, uh, his girl you know played by Sanan Lathan. And I'll get deeper into this cast. And one thing that I will that I do love about this movie is the cast and it brought so many people that were relevant at the time and so many people that would be relevant later on into this movie but first and foremost you know we're gonna start with one of the one of the characters here Sanaa Latham we already know about her she was in the wood uh the best man I believe she went on to do all different types of things but in mainstream and not just black movie but mainstream as well and um you know she plays daisy she plays uh claude claude banks's love interest and you know like i said he's taking out to the club this is his first paycheck you know because he's that's his type he's he's on the right the right hand side you know he got the little job and like i said the raise left hand path you know he he out there in them streets so they you know they they converge in the in the bathroom and um you know you know, Claude definitely coming off. You know, he comes off like the real point, Dexter, you know, whatever. And, uh, well, Ray had already saw him, you know, move to the, you know, coming to the bathroom. You know, he, he saw him on his way there. This girl, Claude's girl, didn't actually knock knocked the drink on him. And so he, he come into the bathroom. They meet up with each other. And they bump in. And here comes, here comes Ray. Claude Banks, what's your name? Wait, Well, he, well first and foremost, you know, he coming there. You know, don't I know you? Claude Banks, didn't you go to, didn't you go to uh, Monroe, Monroe? Uh, Claude Banks goes, nah, I went to Jefferson. At that point, Raiden already took his, took his wallet, took his money. And to be honest, uh, Claude, he ain't all that, you know, you know, he ain't all that, you know, square as you think. He was already in debt. To to spanky. We'll get to spanky in just a second. And this is where you get another one of your uh, one one thing about this movie is you had cameos in this movie as well, uh, from all different types of people. But the first one of the first cameos you do see is your boy J. Arlen Jones, aka Candy Man. So he comes in there uh right before right before Ray gets to Claude. Uh him and another goon, they pat him down, they take his little t- $22. Not bad. They take his little twenty-two dollars from Mr. Stanley. I think it was Mr. Stanley. I don't think it was Spanky, but it was Mr. Spanky. It was Mr. Stanley. Took his little twenty dollars twenty-two dollars, which was a lot back then. You talking about twenty-two dollars. Like, damn, they took twenty-two dollars. No, that was that was some money. That was like a hundred, that was like your whole like your whole five hundred dollars, six hundred dollar check was his twenty-two dollars. That was nineteen thirty-two money. So, hey. Um and um you know, they, you know, of course, now now, when when Ray bumps into him, Ray think, is thinking he, you know, took his wallet. You know, it ends up, ain't nothing in Claw's wallet. So, they both end up without no money. Uh, Claw gets, gets wrapped up because, of course, he ain't got no money to pay the bill. And it looks like, you know, Smokey, uh, sorry, Spanky, uh, the owner of the club, he ends up spotting Ray. And they both end up, you know, being taken to the docks. And uh, Spanky is playing none other than your OG, R.I.P. Ray James. So, you know, Ray tries to break it down to him. You know, he's like, man, I ain't mean to cross you like that. You know, uh, he goes into, come on, man, you let me live. And then, you know, he got Claude in the background. They about to. They about to dump him in the water. He over there begging and he talking about there's rat down there. You know, he's scary. So you, you know, they played, you know, they, you know, both of them played their role pretty well. Um, but m- the movie itself and the plot itself and the script itself didn't really lead you to like one more than the other. They were both cool in their own way, you know, for what it's worth, Claw was a straight man, but he was hella goofy, he was hella funny. And just his reaction when they dunked it, oh what is it, what does it mean? Drop him, don't drop me. And He over here crying and shit. You know, so eventually, you know, they get out of the situation by 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 uh, Ray simply just you know telling, convincing, convincing Spanky to let him go out to Mississippi to go get some hooch, uh, you know, some moonshine, uh, cause that's kind of what uh Ray was trying to get into in the beginning was um was bootlegging uh, so they end up going to Mississippi and you know to do this pull off this mission. For your boy uh for your boy spanky and they finally make it down there you know they driving you know all that and they find you know you find out a little bit more about each other that's when you find out uh a little bit more about uh ray's background you learn about his father passing away you learn about his watch which becomes a, a, a integral part of the movie you learn a little bit about what drives claw you know he wants to uh, he wa- he wants to be able to make money and provide for his girl. Uh in the in uh the, in their one of their first interactions, his girl get married. Uh he necessarily doesn't, but you know, he wants to be with her. You know, he wanted to take her to, 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 to the Yankees games. But he again he wanted to be with his girl. He knew his motivation. So he learned a little bit more about those characters uh during their trip down to the south. Now when they finally get down to the south, um they have to go meet a man named Slim who ain't really Slim. He Big old, big old dude. So they get, they get the uh, the moonshine, and they decide um, they are gonna go to this place called Natchez Under the Hill, which is a little bar, little honky tonk place. You know, uh, I remember, yeah, uh, the boy Slim was like, only color that matters under the hill is green. Oh, he said green's the only color that matters under the hill. 'Cause they was asking, can we go down there, color Because Now, mind you, they already tried to go to the to the pot to the to the diner on the way. And they said, and the white lady said, how about I turn y'all on a nigga pie? Cause Clark, Clark, I mean, Ray in there, he trying to buy some pie. How much it takes to, to turn some of that white only pie in a nigga pie? They was not having it. And one thing that I will give you in that movie, they didn't pull no punches. It was a funny scene, but don't think that wasn't real. They was for real telling us not to eat in their diners. <laughs> and this scene is another funny scene. You know, you got, you got... Uh, your boy Mount uh Martin is he's over there, Billy? Ma'am, we want some pie, and they talking about the next town is forty five miles. Forty five miles, I ain't driving for. Oh man, one of the better scenes in the movie, hilarious. Uh, again, I, oh man, their chemistry that they that the their chemistry together. Uh, was really on point throughout the entire movie, uh. But again, uh, back to back to Mississippi, back to you know they they party at the at the bar. Uh, you know Ray, he's playing poker. That's another one of his vices. He's playing poker against your man, uh, old old Winston Hancock. Now he's played by another. You know, another legend in the black movies. You already know Clarence Williams III, this Mr. A.K.A., the sh- I got the shit. Okay, we already know. So, a lot of legends in this movie. A lot of people ate off this movie, was, was fed because of this movie. And I love the connections that was made here. So many people in this movie. Uh, but, uh, like I said, Clarence Williams III, he plays Winston Hancock, uh, a, 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 a known... A known poker player throughout the area and he's a crooked one so uh eventually long story short he ends up you know taking you know not only beating up beating ray out of his money but also his daddy's watch now at the same time a little a little junk real red bone junk pulls up on Claude, you know and gets him to come out his his pocket for some for some trim so they both you know end up without no money so it it, it eventually you know Winston Hancock makes his way out of the out of the spot and uh eventually Ray finds out he was cheating so he comes out of there they storming out of there but before they leave before every, you know before that happens uh Miss you know Mr. Hancock bumps into your boy Sheriff Pike now Sheriff Pike uh he ends up showing up in in two different spots of the movie younger and older but we're going to talk about the younger one for right now played by Ned Vaughn again the amount of low key star power in this movie, y'all not feeling it, y'all not seeing me. Uh, Nevon was also in uh, Apollo thirteen. He also played uh, in another uh, predominantly black film, which I, which I'll give him a plus for. He was in the, also in a movie about the Tuskegee, Tuskegee, excuse me, the Tuskegee. Oh my God the tuskegee Airmen. okay there we go he was also in a movie about the tuskegee Airmen, so i gotta give him props for that for just you know not being caught up in you know race and all that and and showing up for movies like that and and uh he was also if he's also familiar to you he was also in uh la noir the video game as well so we got a we got a lot of low-key and i think this is one of the things that were over that was really overlooked about this movie again this has so many star and burgundy stars and low key mid level stars in this movie. People slept on this movie so much, but anyways, we we're introduced to Sheriff Pike, and again, we there's a lot of good uh, screenwriting in this movie. Um, Sheriff Pike rolls up to Mister to Mister Hancock, and he's playing with Ray's watch. You know, playing a little song on it. And because um, it plays a little tune to it and it's really sentimental to Ray. And again, it's going to be a pivotal part of this, of this movie uh, on its own. So Winston Hancock has it. And out of nowhere, Sheriff Pike uh, rolls up and uh, he, he he says straight up. He goes, now, Winston, I thought I told you that, that I didn't want you in town anymore to that effect. And then here comes Mr. Winston Hancock. Well, I was going to leave Sheriff Pike. But your wife, she begged me to stay. <laughs> Ooh, that made that white boy mad. He kicked him on the ground. On the way down, Winston Hancock slashed his face. And then you hear the, the ultimate line. You just committed murder, boy. And you that's it. That's it. And eventually that's when uh Claude find out he'd been duped. Uh I'm not sorry, uh not Claude, but Ray found out he was duped by the uh by the waitress at the at the bar. So he's trying to find Winston. And uh they find Winston, <laughs> but he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, they find Winston dead. Ray, Ray picks through the the man's pockets for his daddy watch. He gets his daddy watch. And the minute they get the daddy watch, bam, here come the hillbilly boys. What y'all doing over here? Damn. If they would have just, I'm sitting there in my head, even as a little kid, like, damn, if y'all would have just been faster. Why y'all just ain't grabbing and go? He was over here, Ray over there talking about, that's what you get, motherfucker. That's what y'all... I'm sitting and telling, every time I used to watch the movie, I would tell him, move, Ray, go, Ray. Don't talk to him. Sure enough, here come the redneck boy. I think you need to, I think y'all better come with us. Look, like, he dead. He ain't dead, he just sleeping. Nigga, you know they ain't listening to that. So, you know, they get taken, they get taken in. Of uh, the course, the, the the second, the deputy sheriff in charge, you know, he goes, well, looks like they found um uh, these guys here with Winston Hancock under the hill. He was dead. That's it. Murder, huh? And then there goes Sherry Pike. Murder, huh? <laughs> and uh here comes Ray trying to buy his way out of it or trying to, you know, convince him to get him get him out of the situation. He's like, Don't y'all well, y'all ever heard of Spanky Johnson? He'll help you he'll he'll give you some money if you it ain't gonna work. The very next day, they all you heard the judge say was life. Coldest shit I ever seen. Because they was like, oh. Because the sheriff, shown enough, was like, oh, well, if you telling the truth, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Oh, you right. They over here trying to convince themselves. Oh, you're right. Show enough, next scene. I love how the scene was cut and edited. Oh, yeah, you right. If we tell the truth, show up next day. Life. This a mistrial, this a mistrial, so they get, they sent off to jail, like I said, for life, and uh, this is when you start uh, seeing the other the other members of the cast, you start seeing the jail crew and all that, um, and you got, like I said, you got a wide array of people in this movie, um, let me break them down real quick. Yeah, let me break them down real quick because there's a lot of them here. Um, Like I said, a lot of the who's who of the black movies in the 90s and the early 2000s here. Again, a lot of just low-key star power, period. Um, But again, uh, they they first um, get in contact. uh, Their first real inmate interactions with Willie Long. And he's a played by Oba Babatunde, Uh straight out of Oakland, if I'm not mistaken, the Bay Area. Uh, you know, like I said, really legendary not necessarily legendary actor, but well known actor. He played the Dean and How High. You know, just been around. Just been around and has so many acting credits again. So, you know, he's supposed to be the OG. He'd been in there since he was thirteen. You know, so they and, you know, they got the they got the prison tropes, they got the um the prison, you know You got you got characters like Biscuit, played by Miguel A. Nunez, and you got you got Jangleleg, and it took me for it took me almost till middle school to figure finally figure out you know why they called him Jangleleg. You know he basically made a pass at Claude, he filling him up talking about your hands are nice and supple like a lady. Oh my God, that was scary. I I couldn't really, and it took me for a while to really understand, oh, the dude biscuit is basically his girlfriend. Oh, bro, that's crazy. So I mean, you also got a uh, guy Tori in there, uh, playing a character by the name of Radio. Uh, Radio's a fast talker. He's really into radios. He's to fix them and you know try to get uh, radio waves going. So he was all into that, putting on the games for people, uh, let people listen to music and all that. So you had like different. You had a, like I said a very interesting cast, um, but um. You know, again, you see those, you you get those prison, you know, circumstances. You got the big dude gold mouth asking for asking for uh, your boy claw cornbread. You gonna eat your cornbread? So he ends up, you know, Ray ends up fighting for him, taking that L for him. But again, like I said, you kind of get you kind of get an idea of what that 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 stuff could be like. You sitting there, okay, you gonna have to fight. You know, motherfuckers gonna want your food. You like, oh man. I don't want no parts of that. Uh, you also got, you, the prison itself was uh, ran by uh, your boy, Sergeant Dillard, who was played by Nick Cassavetes. Of course, another another known actor, and he had his little uh, his little sidekick, his little house nigga, right by him, Hop and Bob. <laughs> uh, they wouldn't let you go to the gun line or they was going to shoot you. But, you know, they was not, I mean, of course, you know, it being a jail movie, of course, they was not going to sit there and just take it. They was, I mean, they were going to try to break free. Uh, of course, uh, one of their first major attempts, that being Claude and Ray, uh, they try to sneak out one night, but they end up running around in a circle. They thought they had a map that could be made for them. It was supposed to be, the dis- it was supposed to be going to Greenville, but it turned out it just put them in a big-ass circle and they end up getting caught and bit by the dogs and uh they they got sent to one of the wards or something of the of the prison system they end up getting put in the hole (laughs) and uh one thing i did like about the movie was that it you know it it showed the progression of just what life in prison prison can do uh you saw them progress through the ages uh, you saw like eventually, like I said, uh, they first they first eventually came in there in the 30s. Uh, you also you see time develop, you see time last. They go into the 40s, World War II, and uh, this is the height of the black uh, the black baseball movement, the Negro Leagues. And it just so happens that one of the inmates that come there uh, can't get right is what they call him because he couldn't speak. Now again, this uh, this guy uh, can't get right is played by Bokeem Woodbine. Uh, now he couldn't talk, but He couldn't couldn't visualize anything, or he couldn't verbalize anything, but he happened to really be good at baseball, hella good at baseball, a real power hitter. And that would eventually attract the interest from a a scout from the Negro Leagues uh, by the name of Stan Blocker. Now, he's played by Noah Emmerich. Uh, Stan Blocker comes in and says, look, this man has, you know, real potential uh he has the opportunity to you know do something in the league and get off this this prison uh they have ways to work around that so claude and ray you know try to get put on as well uh basically as his handlers uh but also you know all you know it doesn't work they end up it ends up falling apart and um you know, it's, it's, you know, you, I mean, at least they try, you know, you can see, you can see that. And then you also see with that field attempt. You see that, you see, you see Claw's frustration and you see, you know, just how, you know, just how it's setting in that they're probably going to be in there all their lives. And that's a very interesting scene to me. That was a very intense scene to me. Um, it was the deepest scene. It wasn't my favorite, but it was the deepest scene to be to me in the movie. You kind of get the idea. Look, this is for life. This is what the movie is called, um, and you know you see that, and you know time progresses. Uh, time goes on, and you see Ray trying to you know find ways to get free. He tries to use a crop duster. That doesn't work. Uh, Claude just kind of just sits back and he does his does his thing, and um one of the one of the best things about this movie one of the better scenes about this movie is that they have this montage they have this progression and they're showing you you know the evolution <laughs> they're showing you development of history in real time as these guys are doing time in prison uh, you see the guys in the, in the jail uh, themselves they're moving on they die uh some of them might get released at uh, some point in time biscuit. Uh, he tries to run over the line. He He's ended up being free, but he runs over the line because he can't live. He can't see himself on the outside. He doesn't like the life uh, he he lived on the inside and it bothered him. And uh, he decided to run across a gun line and they called the gun line because if you ran across it, they'll kill you. And uh, you saw that. And, he, and after him, after he died, you know, like I said, they gave you that transit, that transitional scene. And you see that if all the events going on outside in the real world, Uh you see excerpts of, you know, the Vietnam War, Nixon, or the first space flight, and civil, the civil rights movement. And all this is going on while these guys are locked up, far away, far away from all that going on. Um, And I thought that was a really powerful scene in the movie. You know, it, it puts things into perspective. Um... But moving on, it would just it would just progress. Uh it would go into the 70s. And at this point, uh Claude and Ray were advanced in their age, and they were sent to live with one of the uh one of the wardens. And they would live in his house, they helped take care of him, uh, they did his lawn and stuff like that. Oh, and um uh, and good news about Can't Get Right, Can't Get Right did get his way off the off the jail and uh he did have a baby by that white girl and um may rose Abernathy, who was a superintendent daughter and i uh, forgot that part and that's when you get one uh, another one of um uh, of uh jangle a aka bernie max top lines Ida of so look out for that scene as well uh but after the progression after the aging like i said, we're in the seventies they're dealing with uh they're de- dealing with it they're living with another superintendent they're off the jail uh they had a they had somewhat of a, a heartfelt goodbye <laughs> uh with the with the sergeant he eventually passed too. um of course. Claude makes, before, before they, before they're moved, before they move to the, to the uh, superintendent's house, of course, Claude makes epic run for pies, burns his damn mouth up, and they do make up, before they do go back to the, go to the superintendent's house, uh, they do make up, they, they, uh, they get into the situation, like I said, uh, Claude tries to steal the pies, he doesn't steal the pies, uh, and, um, he ends up, well, he does steal the pies, he ends up getting caught, and, uh, th- the uh the ward or the, the uh, sorry sergeant dillard is trying to convince ray to shoot him and ray said don't give me that gun i ain't no boot trustee i'll probably shoot you with it really should i ever heard uh they would be they, at that time they hadn't talked in 20 or some years 25 years and uh he wouldn't shoot him and they both ended up standing on the bottles together and uh just that scene together they they, they forgave each other they uh, rekindled their friendship. They lived through the old memories, and I think that was a good scene too. It was it was it showed friendship and it showed true friendship, and they were in that together. And uh, through it all, uh, they stayed they stayed uh, cool with each. Well, they got back cool with each other, and after that, uh, like I said, they go we'll go to another a whole another superintendent's house, live with him, and eventually they were able to convince him. Of the misdeed that was done to them. Uh, it was it was crazy how it played out. Uh, there was a hunting trip. And it just so happens that. Your boy Sheriff Pike. Makes his way back into the movie. Um, and uh, Sheriff Pike. Like everybody else. Like Ray and Claude. He aged too. Uh, this time around he's played by. R. Lee uh, Emery. Um, we all know him. You know, Ar- yeah, Arlie Emery, uh, Apocalypse Now, Big Time, Drill, everybody's favorite drill sergeant, he's in it too. He plays the older uh, Cher Pike in this one. And, um, again, you see, uh, now, what happens is, you know, they meet up with him, they pick him up from the bus station. And another scene comes up, right before they meet up with him again, there's another scene that's really uh, powerful too. Uh, Claude. Looks at his reflection in the in the car he drove, uh, because he he drove for the superintendent too, and he drove to pick up. uh, They drove to pick up Sheriff Pike, and he's watching the world around him. This is his first time in the outside world. He's finally seeing things. You know, he's finally seeing the world for the first time, and he's seeing the afros because it's the seventies. And he's looking at the people's afros. He's looking at the boom boxes that they're carrying. He's looking at how times have changed, how people dress different, look different. And he finally looks into the car, and he sees his reflection, and he sees an older man. Don't see the young man he used to, you know, he sees he used to see in the mirror. Um, and to see that, and to see his reaction in the in the you almost want to say it's despair, and mind you, this is a comedy movie. There's there's things that you laugh at. It's a dramedy. There's drama in it too. But that again is one of those scenes that bringing home. He touches his face and he looks at himself, and he sees you know what time has done to him. And this again, it's a it's a very powerful scene because again, you think about all the all the the black men and men in general that get locked up every day for things that they never did. They're innocent. And it's happened throughout our history, especially the black men. And to think he had to waste all that life, and he's looking at himself now, and you have to re- you're reflecting with him like, damn, dude, you spent all that time, forty years. But anyway,s they pick up Sheriff Pike, <clears throat> and uh, eventually they have a hunting trip, <laughs> and um, I think relatively early, yeah, relatively early. I think Claude recognizes who he is, and eventually Ray would find out too, uh, through basically him finding him with his this daddy's watch. Apparently, Sheriff Pike kept the watch, and so there's a there's a there's a conversation about it, and it found out uh, through each other through through his his very testimony uh, through Sheriff Pike. Sheriff Pike said it right there. It doesn't matter now. The, the, the state got 40 years of ch- cheap labor out the deal. And that almost got him shot. He pulls out a gun. He's about to shoot somebody. The, super in, intent, uh, the superintendent ends up shooting him. He's dead. And um, and uh, they were going to. And the cold part is um, the investigating officer just let it go. He didn't want to pursue it. And the superintendent they were living with decided uh, that he was going to write some clemency papers. He listened to the story, he listened to the situation, and he was going to sign some clemency papers. But he dies on the toilet. He dies on the toilet. And it never happened. So eventually they get even older and they get sent to an infirmary. they're about close to dying. And uh here is where they do some more reflecting on their lives. And uh, they come up with their their very last plan. <laughs> now, you know, I don't know how it happened and they don't really tell you. They don't really tell you exactly what the plan is or how they're going to go about doing it. Uh, but one night there's a fire, and its two two uh in, in the morning, well, in uh, during the course of the fire, uh Claude doesn't get out the room, and they eventually and and uh Claude never makes it out the room. That's what they say, or at least that's what they yeah, and Ray apparently goes back to get him. So you know the fire is there, it's wreckage. You know whatever they pull the bodies up, and then we cut back to uh the beginning shot. Now in the beginning, uh, I didn't really tell going to go into this, but in the beginning uh the t- there's two men, and uh, here's the first of our of our cameos. You got heavy D in there. They're digging two ditches, uh to who they assume is Claude and Ray, and you got your boy. Um your boy Willie Long there, and he's over, he's over, you know, seeing everything, and he's pouring out the liquor. And it, of course, he's explaining the story as the movie goes along. So, again, like I said, the infirmary lights on fire, and like I said, the coroners come in and they assume that both of them died in the fire. And your boy Willie Long is so cryptic about it. He goes, you know, he talks about the plan, and one of the guys goes, "Shame that plan didn't work." And then the dude, and then Willie Willie goes, "I never said the plan didn't work." <laughs> and the guys stuck there, Heavy D and the, and the other cousins sitting there stuck there like, "What?" You mean to tell me we not we not digging up we're not putting in these bodies, He's not Claude and ray and he just roll off. And it cuts to it cuts to both of them at the Yankees game. They sitting there too deep. Uh they made it out. They made it back to New York. I don't know how they did it. Uh but they were able to get their own place. And um They did it. They did it. Um although I think this the ending itself is a little bit crazy um i don't know how it all worked out i like the happy ending of it i like the fact that they were able to find some type of redemption get up out of that place yes they wasted a lot of their life but they were able to they were able to die not there and they were able to get free again and it's the and it's you know the story of the black existence you know trying to find that freedom trying to find that uh that balance and that ability to, to to live your life and they finally were able to do it um, I loved the movie from beginning to end, even as a kid. Uh it 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 put me in a mindset of understanding what race was and how the play it played effect even then. Um it was movies like that, you know, that would make you think. Um again and one another thing that I look at now as an adult, another thing that I look at on is this is this really deep cast of characters. Uh you had uh, and, and again, there's so much different talents here. Again, you had actresses like Poppy Montgomery who found fame in Hollywood and in the mainstream. You know about Bernie Mac. You know about Oba Babatunde, Bokeem Woodbine, uh, Nick Casavantes. These are people that after this movie or during the process of this movie being made or when they were a part of this movie, they were in the know. This movie was very underlooked, in my opinion. Um, rot tomatoes gave it a fifty percent. That's bullshit. I don't know what the fuck they were talking about. This is this is it. This is an A movie. This touch on all subjects. This makes you laugh from beginning to end. How could you not like a movie like this? But again, rot tomatoes. They don't got no taste in nothing anyway. And the thing, the big thing for me, this has got to be one of the big the best soundtracks in my life that I've ever you know had a chance to listen to it starts off in the in, in the way it's you know put in with the movie it makes so much sense you got 25 to life by trial ja rule exhibiting juvenile uh, basically setting the tone of the movie giving you an idea of what this is going to be pretty much all about you know and it's telling you right there and then you got the big monster track by Maxwell Fortunate course i had to play it uh, at the start of this segment we all know about that one um you know just a really good feel good song it might not have so much to do with the movie uh but definitely a song that put maxwell on top a song that people for whatever it's worth will relate to that movie um you also got the title track life uh by casey and jojo really well sung uh again it fits perfectly, of course, with the song. Um, that 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 arrangement between KC and JoJo, the way that they get down, you feeling it, you feel the soul, you feel it. You know, um, this this album, this this uh, the soundtrack is really encompassing of the movie, and you gotta love it. It just wasn't a just. It just wasn't a, the songs just slapped, you know, slapped on a movie to to promote with the movie and all that. These songs actually made sense. And my personal favorite, uh, my personal favorite song was the ending, uh, the ending credit song, uh, "What Would You Do" by City High. I loved it. I loved the message of the song. Again, it's a song that that pretty much fit with with uh, the movie what it was all about. Uh, good, whoever was responsible for that did a really really awesome job again this was a really well put together movie um again uh, this should be in your cult classic rotation I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, Latino, Samoan. If you want to if you want to watch some some real comedy, uh by by two of the the best to do it, this is it. This is this is the the ultimate that you will get. Uh there's social commentary there. Uh there's a lot of different facets going on there. Um, again you have you have input of all that's going on in society throughout the various points in the movie again like I said you see you see how uh you see how the world changes in front of their eyes you see the you see uh the the prohibition the end of the prohibition era you see the bootlegging era then you see the world war ii era the start of the, the the negro league era and the the prevalence of sports in our community you see that develop you see life change uh on the outside while these guys are locked inside and they completely they get they get it right and again the comedy will always be on point and it was a launching point for a lot of different uh, people it was a it was a it was also a gathering spot for a lot of different people uh, a lot of different well-known and maybe some lesser-known uh actors and, and actresses but again it was just so deep and really underlooked. i would suggest that if you haven't watched it watch it as soon as possible and talk to me tell me how you liked it please i love this movie from beginning to end I'm gonna give this movie a ten out of 10, five stars. This is the this is the definition of comedy. This is the definition of what you fi- what you should be finding funny. This is funny. This is on point. This is relevant, uh, even to today. This is relevant. This is socially relevant. This is socially relevant. Excuse me. This is socially aware, and it was done right, acted well. Uh, it was directed well, produced well. The soundtrack fitted this is one of this was the best movie of that year this is one of the this was the best movie of the late 2000s and one of the most underlooked movies in general of of all time this is the movie life this is one of the this is one of our classics hold on to it this is a black national treasure with that being said y'all i'm gonna call it a raffle tonight my next episode we're gonna be going in deep uh with the world on the street. I'm gonna be talking about a subject you might find uh out uh out of pocket for me, but nothing's ever bounced nothing has ever bounced. Uh it will not be what you're what you're thinking. It'll be more of an informative thing. I want to expose something to you guys. Uh, and on top of that, we'll be checking in on the playoffs. Of course, uh, we will be having the uh the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. We'll be talking about that as well. And because I had a a top eight list uh, about some some positive playoff runs, I'm gonna have a top five about my about. Uh, I'm gonna have a top five for the worst playoff runs. Uh, I had a I, you know I'm gonna have a, a I want to go to the top five most disappointing playoff runs. I think you doubt I think your Houston your Houston rock are gonna end up on that list to be honest with you. Uh but I'm gonna call it a wrap for tonight. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. If you are looking to get in touch with me, I am on Facebook. Uh E-L-J-A-M-A-H is the name. L Jamal or Johnny A D J A N i uh i do have a facebook page uh, actual page for the show as well look it up never out of bounce i am available if you want to email me i am available at eljb70 elj butler excuse me 75 at gmail.com once again it is elj just the letter j butler 75 at gmail.com i am also on instagram as well at l jamal ajani that is e-l-j-a-m-a-h-a-d-j-a-n-i once again that is e-l-j-a-m-a-h-a-d-j-a-n-i once again this is never out of bounds this is your boy l jamal signing out uh be sure to interact with me talk to me reach out to me I'm looking to take this to the next level. This cannot happen without your help, but I do love you listening to me. I do love you giving me the ears tonight. Uh, Thank you for waiting on me. This episode took a minute. I know I wanted to put it out tonight. I didn't know it would take this long, but here it is. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good night. Much love.